You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Word of God this morning, and so we are in the book of Exodus, and uh, man, we have been systematically going through this incredible redemptive story of God saving his children, the children of Israel, out of the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And uh, why don't you guys go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus 7 through, we're going to do two chapters today, so kind of a lot of text. But Exodus 7, 8 through 9, 7. And uh, today and next week, I will precursor, is kind of a doozy. We're getting into the 10 plagues that God brings upon Egypt. We're going to be reading the first five today, and uh, we'll do the next five next week. But as a reminder before we read our text today, is that the story of Exodus is our story as well. We too, right, were once in bondage and in slavery to sin, and God freed us by the sacrifice of his son upon the cross. And the Exodus is declaring God's salvation um, to the children of Israel, to God's people, but it's pointing forward to the cross, to our own redemptive story. And um, so our text today, again, it's it's a bit long. It might be a bit longer of a teaching this morning, but it's going to be good. And uh, when we have a longer set of text, we have different people from the body usually read it this season. And uh, I want to invite up a dear brother, lover of Jesus, uh, a Ohana group leader this summer, Daddy Setiati. Come on up. Come on, Daddy. Is it Setiati? Did I say it right? Kinda. On point. On point. Okay. So we got it up there. Or if you have Bibles, cool. he's gonna read it. Good morning. Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. And it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. "By By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and, it will, be, and it, will, it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all, and all the reservoirs, and they, will be, and they will turn into blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of, the, of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and, he, and struck the water of the Nile. And, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died 
And the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into the palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will team, the Nile will team with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into, the, into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your, your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no, no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave your houses, your officials, and your people. They remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs had, he had brought on Pharaoh and the and the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Moses saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand, oh sorry, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand, with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you, do not, if you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that they will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make, this, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Then swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer our Lord, offer the Lord our God would, not, would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We, we must make a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. 
Pharaoh said, I will let you I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to I will I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his people and his officials. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully against by again by not letting the people go offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he would not let the people go. Chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. The God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, go and continue to hold them back. The, land, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, tomorrow... Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. Buddy. Thanks, Danny. <laughs> Good job. A lot of text. Oh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray today. <clears throat> God, thank you. Thank you for your word. And God, we ask that you would speak to us through it, that you would reveal your character and your intention and, and why you did these things and how it applies to our own life and our own heart. God, we, we want to see you. We want to hear from you. Give us eyes to see and, and ears to hear and hearts that are soft to receive from you this morning. We ask that you'd have your way with us. Your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us, um, a short recap to remember where we're at is that God is redeeming his people, and he's using Moses and Aaron. They're not equipped. They've got some even physical speech impediments, Moses does, that's, that's hindering him. They're, they're old. We talked about that last week. But they've heeded the call of God, and they're going before Pharaoh, right, the, the most powerful person in the world at the time. The, the kingdom of Egypt was the, the strongest, most powerful. Pharaoh's a big deal. And they were going before and they were pleading with Pharaoh to let God's people go, right? The Israelites were in that time in slavery, in bondage for the last 430 years under Pharaoh. They were slaves. They were building everything, uh, very harsh labor. And what's happened is, is that every time that Moses and Aaron have gone before Pharaoh and done what the Lord has done, it's not worked. Pharaoh's heart, hard, excuse me, heart has become hard. Things have gotten worse. Actually, the climate for the Israelites have become harsher, harsher slavery, harsher um, situations, and, and it's gotten bad. But the purpose of these plagues, the purpose of why God is doing this to Egypt is actually bringing about justice. God is, is coming against the injustice of Pharaoh by imprisoning at that time about two and a half million people. A whole nation is under control in slavery at the time. And God hears Israel's cry. Again, if you remember, God looks to Israel as his firstborn child. He, he, 
the, the word of God uh, speaks of this many times, that Israel, is, as if it's, if it's God's firstborn child, he loves them. He desires to be with them, and he has great compassion, and he hears their call. And God is what he's going to do, and how he's going to do it, he's going to bring them out of Egypt, and he's going to ultimately take them to the promised land. But God's desire, his goal in all this is to deliver them so that he can dwell with them. God's desire for all of us always is withness, is, is, is intimacy with us as his children. In the next book, the book of Leviticus, we see God's heart in what he's doing. This is what God desires for his firstborn, for the children of Israel. Leviticus 26, 11 through 13, God speaking says to the Israelites, I will live among you and I will not despise you. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so you could walk with your heads held high. This is God's whole desire. This is God's purpose in doing all that he's about to do. The time has come for God to free his people and to end the injustice of 400 years of slavery. And he's, he's done with it. He's done with this injustice. But the thing is, right, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He's not having it. Um, Moses and Aaron, I've tried a few times. It's gotten worse. It's not a good situation. And if you remember, Pharaoh sees himself as a god. Like with full authority over land and people and power. And he's doing pretty well. He's controlling that part of the world. He's doing whatever he wants. He's got a whole army of slaves to build anything and do anything. And so when Pharaoh is confronted by these two old shepherd guys that can't even speak, saying, our God says, let your whole people go. Let, let your whole army, let your workforce Kind of let the strength of your empire go, he, he doesn't budge. Because to him, who is this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Who is this God that you speak of? Because in his mind, he's a God of his own. And in chapter 5, verse 2, the question that Pharaoh asks when confronted with this plan to let the people go, he says, Who is the Lord? And who is this Lord that I should obey him? And what we see in chapter 7, 8, 9, next week, chapter 10, chapter 11, God is answering that question in every plague. The narrative of every plague is answering the question that I am who I said I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God that's going to free my people. And each of these plagues also confronts something for Pharaoh and Egypt, at that time, it's thought that there were about 114 gods that were being worshipped by the Egyptians. So the sun, the moon, the crops, the day, and the night were worshipped for prosperity. So then there's this other random god saying, because of my god, I want you to let everything go. At that time, there was 114 other gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And one of the big lessons that we're going to see through the plagues is that sometimes God has 
to go after stuff that's keeping us from himself. It's a very dramatic way with the plagues, but the truth is is that God knows how to break the opposition and pain that we're either causing to ourselves or to others. He knows how to do it, and he has the ability to go after it. But what we'll see by studying the plagues is that we learn who God is. We're going to see over the next two weeks a combination of God's love and his mercy, but also his judgment against the injustice of Pharaoh and what's happening. And again, Pharaoh won't let the people go unless a mighty hand compels him. And that's the start of the plagues here in chapter 7. Many times we see that it's said that watch and see the Lord. Watch and see that this is the Lord and a mighty hand is going to compel you to let them go. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to run quickly through each of these five plagues and just pull out a few things. But what I want us to know is that these actually to apply to us and tug at our own heart. The same things that are confronted to Pharaoh can be confronted in our own lives. So let's look at the first one, the plague of blood, right? Chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, Daddy just read it. The whole Nile, the whole Nile River and the Nile Basin, the huge river and inlet off the Mediterranean that came into Egypt that made everything flourish, made every crop grow, was turned to blood. And the Nile was significant, if not vital, to the success and the power of the kingdom of Egypt. It was the center of trade and economics in the region. And so the Nile goes, so Egypt goes. That, that was their lifeline to water and food and crops and produce and, and everything. And at that time, there was a god of the Nile uh, named Happy. Seriously, H-A-P-I, happy. I have a picture. This is the god of the Nile. Happy was a god of security and stability and in control of the annual flooding of the Nile. And uh, it was something that was worshipped and sacrificed to to keep their empire going. This was one of the most important and vital gods of Egypt, and God is making a really strong point by messing with the Nile. You might just think, oh, is he just like changing the color of, of the Nile red? What he's doing is he's, he's cutting out the throat right away at the entirety of the region by messing with the Nile, because ultimately what God is doing is he's coming against one of their gods. He's confronting the God happy. And what's happening at the time is that Israel, right, is worshiping this false God or what we might call an idol. An idol is something that we put in the place of God, in the place of Yahweh. The thing is, is an idol isn't just, you know, like a stone figure or something that we might think from like Indiana Jones, an idol. But an idol is anything that we put in the place in our hearts that God should only have the place of. So not only ancient Egypt had idols, not only other cultures and other, other, other things, other people groups over the course of the years, but we too have things in our hearts that we hold on to so tightly to ensure our own security and standing. 
For Egypt, it was the God happy. Because as the Nile goes, Egypt go. Make happy happy. Keep happy happy. We're good. As long as that's in place, as long as that God is good, we are good. But we have to know that only God can actually provide security and stability in our own hearts and in our own minds and in our lives. Everything else for Egypt, for us, is smoke and shadows. It's temporary and worldly. Jesus, he's the giver of life, right? He would say that he would give us life and that abundantly. Again, stuff that we, that we accumulate, that we have, like whether it's a home or a stable job or, or some finances, that stuff isn't inherently bad. But it, it becomes an idol. Those things become a God when our hope is in those things. And if we lost those things, it would crush us. For Egypt, losing the Nile, losing their stability and security and empire, crushed them. That was why this was such a big deal. But for us, when we look at our own lives, our own idols of the heart, the question that we have to ask, that we have to allow the word of God to read us this morning, what are we holding on to so tightly for security and stability in our life that if we lost it, our life would be over? If you, if you say anything other than God, God is just exposing an idol in our hearts. It's something that is competing for his position and his position alone. This is what's happening here. God is confronting what they've built their security on. He's exposing both Egypt's and Israel's need for God alone to give life, not this God happy. And God as well, in his grace and his mercy and his love, is the reason why he exposes idols in our hearts. Because he desires all of us, and he knows what's best for us, and he knows that those are just fading things. That real stability and real life and real joy doesn't come from stuff, it comes from himself. And so God, out of his love, will also expose our own idols, especially things that can't satisfy. And so what happens is, this is a really big deal. The Nile, all the water source is ruined. I mean, this is, this is going to be the collapse of society. So Pharaoh, what he does is he summons all his magicians. And magicians isn't in the same way like a pen and teller, like a magic trick, like rabbit out of the hat type of guys. Yes, there may be some of those guys here, but what they're speaking of is these are Egypt's top minds at the time, right? Egypt is the most sophisticated society on the planet in this moment, and so these are like the scientists, engineers, the brains of, of, of the country and the empire are summoned. Pharaoh says, we got to reverse this thing. We got to stop this thing, and it's a big bummer. They, they do it. God just showed up, big plague, and then all of a sudden, just with brains and smarts, the first plague ends pretty uh, sadly. Moses and Aaron are like, oh, wow, we're in trouble here. This is, a bad, this is a bad situation once again. But what God does, right, Pharaoh's heart gets hardened. He doesn't let the people go. He kind of got out of that by his own people. Then there's the plague of frogs. Doesn't end there. It changes a bit. It's not blood in the Nile now. Now there's frogs everywhere. Right, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, if you just listened as Daddy read it, it's very descriptive where these frogs are. 
Frogs are like in the house, they're in the bed, they're in ovens, they're in kneading bowls. Like, this is a bad situation. This is all of Egypt. Every house is the same way. Guys, if you don't like roaches in your own home, like, this is way worse. This isn't just like a night thing. This isn't just like sometimes. This is all the time, every time. There's no let up of frogs right now. Again, and again, the author here points out that everyone is affected. It even says the servants of the homes are affected. Who, who are the servants of these Egyptian homes? The Israelites. They're slaves. They're the servants. So this plague, just like the plague of the Nile, plague of the blood in the Nile, the plague of frogs is actually affecting Israel also. Everybody is feeling this right now. We're going to get to the purpose of that next week of why God would allow his own people to kind of go through this. But at the time, why frogs is significant, because it kind of seems like, why not pick a different animal? Why frogs? At the time, there was a frog goddess, one of the 114 gods. Um, the, the goddess' name was Heket, and this god had a frog-looking face. This was a frog god that they worshiped. Not joking. It was happy. Now it's frog goddess. It's, it's Heket. And this goddess, this god, was supposed to bear fruitfulness in life. Bear fruit, have abundance, be successful, uh, give purpose to you or significance to your life. And so what God was doing by sending a bunch of frogs wrecking their life God was confronting Pharaoh and Egypt and Israel's hearts at the time. And the truth is, is that God is the only one that actually produces any fruit from our life. Right? Only, the only lasting fruit of any value that our life can have is if God is the one bearing the fruit. We might think otherwise. Right? We might think that we can, we can do this. We can build our own empire. We can, we can make it. We can be the king of our own world captain of our own soul. But truly, God, God, the creator God is the only one who truly gives us purpose and anything of any lasting eternal value. We can't. We can, we can fool ourselves to think we've got it. We can do it. We ourselves can, can, can give purpose and significance and, and fruit to our lives. But at the end of the day, all is a gift. All is a blessing, and God, being the giver of life, is also the one who bears fruit in our life. And so what God is doing by sending these frogs, he's confronting Heket, this frog guard, goddess, but he's confronting what the Israelites and the Egyptians, what are they worshiping? What are they putting their hope in to be successful? Was it this frog god? Was it themselves? Or was it Yahweh? Was it Yahweh? We have to ask ourselves the same thing. What are we living for? Again, it's not bad to be successful, to do well in business, to, to get a promotion, to save, and all. To be successful is not bad, but if being successful is your number one goal, right? And if you're willing to sacrifice anything to get it, that's where the problem comes in because that has just become an idol. Or 
do we trust God for our life's fruit? Again, doesn't mean that you can't pursue success and a good career and a house and all that stuff. But if it's the main thing, that's where we have an issue. And for Egypt, it was the main thing. They were worshiping success. They were worshiping a frog goddess to give them abundance. God says, that's not how it works. That's a false image. That's a false God. That's an idol. That's not me. I'm the giver of life. And so what happens is, is Pharaoh once again said, hey, it worked last time. I'm over these frogs. Let's get the magicians back together. And what do they do? I don't know if you caught it, but they actually make more frogs. So that didn't work that well. Like that's a bad, that, if I was Pharaoh and my guys, you're supposed to take away all the frogs and now you're adding more frogs, I'd be like, dude, this is a problem. Like, stop, what are you doing? And so they're unable to take away the frogs. So then Pharaoh tells Moses, you got to take them away. Like, I'll let your people go. You got to, he kind of breaks a little bit. He's like, they can't, my guys can't do it. So he looks, he t- looks at Pharaoh. Pharaoh talks with God. All the frogs leave. It stinks a lot, but the frogs are gone. But then Pharaoh goes right back on his word. As soon as life is back to how he knew it, and God helped him for what he needed, he went back on it. Nope, people aren't going anywhere. His heart was hardened, and it was the same as where it was. I don't know if you've ever been in that place. But as a pastor, uh, I feel like I've seen it too many times. I've I've experienced myself. I've done it myself where we come to God, Right, and we, we need something. It's, it's a moment of desperation. You know, you see the movies like you're lost at sea, and you say, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do whatever you want me to do forever. I'll change my whole life if you get me back to land. Or it could be like in your marriage. I've seen it before. God, we'll, I'll change everything. I'll do everything as long as you save my marriage. And what happens, unfortunately, most of the time is God rescues you from the ocean or saves your marriage, and then all of a sudden, things go back to exactly how they were. Because you got from God what you wanted, and then all of a sudden, back to things at normal. This is exactly what's happening here with Pharaoh. And again, the same way that God is confronting Pharaoh, God's word this morning is confronting our own lives. He wants all of us. He wants to provide. He wants to dwell amongst us. He wants to be with us. But so often, we too are like that Pharaoh where we get what we need from God and then all of a sudden go back to our own ways. So it's happening here in our Exodus story. Moving along. You guys with me? Okay. Plague of gnats. Okay, this is where things get pretty bad. Plague of gnats. Uh, Chapter 8, verses 16 through 19. So I'll be honest. I don't know tons about gnats. I feel like I know a little bit, but I Googled a picture. A gnat, depending on where you've been and where you're from and stuff, you know about gnats. But like small mosquito-type things, small flies that usually come in like clouds, like swarms. So you don't just get one gnat. You get like thousands of gnats come upon you, and they stick to you, and they bug you, and they're just like almost like lice, small little bugs everywhere. If you know gnats, you know gnats. So this wasn't so much confronting a god, like the gnat god of the time, that's not a thing, but it was confronting the lifestyle and the pride of Egypt. 
Okay? So envision the most powerful empire back then, right? Movies depict it. I mean, even in your head right now, right? There's tapestries. There's paintings. I'm sure we can envision royalty eating grapes outside, laying on pillows, living comfortably and nicely. That's what we think of, like the, the king of Egypt. So can you imagine an unrelenting swarm of gnats covering the entire land and there's no place to hide? I mean, can you, can you imagine that? I cannot imagine that. I, I, I mean, think of it like as mosquitoes for us. Maybe that's more relative. Can't go anywhere. Like you can't go into a room. You can't run. There's no like place of respite. Gnats everywhere. And so their happiness, their, their, their comforts, their way of life was being hit hard. They weren't comfortable. They weren't happy. They couldn't be outside. They couldn't eat the grapes. They could not be who they were. And as long as they had their comforts and their way of life, they were good. And all of a sudden, their good life and their comforts are taken away and they fall apart. And this is exposing another truth. If you know by now, God alone can bring us true rest and true comfort. Like deep contentment only comes from Christ. But again, we, like the Egyptians, love our comfort. We love it. And over time, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but we become so particular of what we feel like we need. Right? I need that pillow. My pillow that I sleep with. Like the Tempur-Pedic cool thing. Like I need it. I need uh, that car. I can't have that old car. I can't have no air conditioning. Are you kidding me? How dare you even speak of that? Uh, for me, honestly, I'll be honest, coffee. That's, that's hard for me to live without. Right? That's a comfort. That is not a need. People are like, yes, it is. You're like, no, it's not, guys. Trust me, I drink way more coffee than all y'all. And it's not a need. It's, it's almost become that way. Right? I'm, we're holding on to these comfort things so much. Again, those are little funny things. But, but this could be said of us. What are we holding on to in our life that brings us comfort or happiness that when taken from us, we can't live without? For me, it may be coffee, honestly. But what are the things? Right? For the Egyptians, their way of life and their comfort is taken away. And for them, this is the worst thing that could happen. But again, in our own life, what are we holding on to? What particular way of life, certain standard of life, certain things, certain uh, home type or job type or maybe financial status that we have that we could not live without if it was taken from us? This is what God is confronting here. The magicians here, this is the first time they can't do anything about these gnats. There is nothing they can do. They can't make more. They can't take any away. And the end of the plague of gnats, they declare, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Like even, his, even the smartest minds in the country, they're like, this is not something we've seen. This is the finger of God. God is at work here. But once again, what does old Pharaoh do? His heart is hardened and it remains hard. Okay. 
I'm almost done. Plague of flies. There's a lot happening. A lot happening here. Chapter 8, verses 20 through 32. So if you remember, the gnats just left. They just left. Life is good again. Now, swarms of flies. The gnats just left. Now there's flies. And here, what's interesting, it says is that, that, that it messes with some of the servants, right? Some of the Israelites. But this is the first time that God actually spares some of the areas of where the Israelites live. This is a very significant moment. This is the start of God taking his own people out of the plagues and making it all about Egypt and judgment upon Egypt. But guys, flies. I don't know, but if I was Pharaoh, I would have tapped out right now. I'm out. People go wherever they want to go. I cannot deal with these flies. For me, one fly buzzing around my ear that won't go, I'm out. Like, I'm one, one fly that won't go away. You know how that is. You flew, it comes back, and you're like, I, I got to move. I got to go inside. I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't do one fly. This is... This, this, can you imagine? I think insanity. I would go insane. Can you imagine a fly, a, many flies, that never stop buzzing? By your ear. Can't sleep. Can't go anywhere. Can't run. Can't hide. I'm, I'm insane. I'm insane. I can't do it. You have to understand, this is for me. I'm like, wow, Pharaoh, your heart is so hard. If you won't, like, if you won't let the people go here, I don't know what will. And what happens is this is a very similar plague to the gnats is that in that God is trying to get Pharaoh's attention. And in verse 22, he says, I want you to know that I'm the Lord. I'm Yahweh. Your guys just said it. The finger of God. This is me. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm answering again the question that you asked in chapter 5. Who is this God? Who is the Lord? This is me. This is me. I'm showing you right now. This is me. And what Pharaoh does, there's so much evil. There's so much hardness in Pharaoh's heart. He actually responds with a compromise. He says, okay, you get the flies out of here. I'll let the people of God go like a three day, for like a three-day festival, but not outside the land, and they got to come back. So Pharaoh's like trying to make a deal with God here. I need these flies to stop. I cannot do it. But I'll make a compromise. I'll give you half of what you want, God. And again, what God is wanting is full surrender. And Pharaoh, once again, is not doing it. Again, that's what God desires of us. For me and you, he wants our whole hearts. He wants us to come and empty our hands and arms and surrender to his lordship. Like to give up to follow Christ and and let Christ take the total reins of our life. And again, how often do we do this? God, I'll obey you, but. God, I'll obey you, but like tomorrow. Or you know what? I know you want that for me, and I know that it'll be better, but I think we're kind of good right now. And if, if I did that, it would hurt some things or it would cost me, And we we do what Pharaoh's doing all the time in our heart. Instead of going, God, you're God, you're Yahweh. You know what's best. I'll do whatever you want me to do. We say, we we compromise just like Pharaoh does. And then our last plague, the plague of death to livestock. Okay. 
So what happens in the beginning of chapter 9, it actually starts really merciful. I, I it doesn't look like that. But every single time that Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh, they always give him a way out. This plague doesn't have to happen. You don't have to experience any more pain in your land and to your people. But again, Pharaoh never listens. But again, none of these plagues have to happen. Once again, God wants Moses to give Pharaoh a way out, but he doesn't. So what happens is, is that all of Egypt's livestock dies. But you have to know, none of Israel's livestock is touched. This is very distinguishing. Only Egypt now, nothing's happening at all to anything of the children of Israel. God's justice is only towards Pharaoh doing to Israel, doing what they did to Israel. But this one also confronts a god of the time, Hathor. This was the goddess of cattle. This was one of the 114 gods that at that time, Egypt was worshiping the goddess Hathor. Back then, cows uh, and cattle were extremely sacred. And to worship the god Hathor, you were, you, were, you were worshiping and sacrificing for fertility of the land. T to be fertile. Uh, cattle was, was looked at as, as, as very sacred. And so they were worshiping this god. And God was confronting once again an idol of the Egyptians. Once again, he was saying, I am the one who is the creator of life. I give and I take away. And he's doing it once again on something that's really sacred to them to try to get their attention. I am the God who gives life and takes life. It's me, Yahweh. And what God is confronting with Hathor or Happy or Heket, along with these 114 gods worshipped at this time, is that he was making a public display and point that he alone is Yahweh. He was the great I am, and all that Pharaoh was doing had to come to an end by his mighty hand. His people need to be freed. Looking at all that, I know that was a lot, but, but here's the takeaway. God's love is actually confronting the Egyptians and Pharaoh. He's confronting their idols, and what God is also doing this morning is he's confronting our own idols. The things that we're hoping in other than him. And what God desires is for all of us to be with him. Again, we'll talk about God's justice more next week. But for today, what God is des desiring is full surrender. Not partial. Not like Pharaoh. Like, I'll give you some or maybe later. Or you give me what I want, God. And then I'm going to go back and do my own thing. But what God is doing today is he's confronting our security, our power, our purpose, our fruitfulness, and our comfort in the same way that he did for Israel. And so for us this morning, as we enter into this time of worship where we have the ability to respond to God, that's why we worship after the, the message. We don't just send you off because there's real heart work that God desires in us. We have a prayer team in the back that like literally wants you to come with all your junk and pray for you. This is why these carpets are up here, so you can just kneel before God and say, God, my heart's not been fully yours. My hope is in all this stuff that I'm striving after. I want my hope to be completely in you. 
That's why we have like three or four worship songs right now is for us in light of God's word to come before God and say, God, I need you. I want you. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's saying sorry to God or turning from stuff. There's a lot that's gone on, but we want to give space for the Lord to meet with you and work in you. And so I'm going to join you in that. Say, God, search my heart. Where do you want me to surrender? Where do you want me to give up? Where have I been holding on to that's not, that's not mine to hold on to? So let me pray, and we're going to enter into that time of worship now. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us and that you want to be with us. That's this whole story. That's what the whole, all these plagues, whole book of Exodus, the whole Bible's about. Is you wanting to be with us. You want to repair what sin has done to us. You want to free us from bondage and you want to bring us into a glorious relationship with our Father. Not only do you want to do it here, but you want to do it for all of eternity and so that's what we're promised. We are promised a witness with our God forever. And so God, there is much to worship you over. You're good, you're mighty, you're holy, you're righteous. God, we want to worship you now in this time for who you are and what you've done. And so, God, we want to meditate and dwell and remember who you are. And, God, we, we do pray, Lord, that this would be a time that you work on us, that we, that we surrender or we give up or, or we just come before you and say, God, I need your spirit. I need power to live for you. I can't do this on my own. And so, God, we ask that you would take this time, you have your way, you would be exalted in this place, King Jesus. Amen.